Scripture today is from 1 John, chapter 1, and verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if any of us does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mark. I was listening to a podcast this week. It's a podcast called Heavyweight by a guy named Jonathan Goldstein. And in the podcast, Goldstein was visiting his parents, and it was the first time he'd been there since his own child had been born, which caused him to consider his parents in a whole new light. Maybe you've had this experience. As he was processing his own feelings about parenthood, he tried to talk to his mother about her reflections about his childhood. And in the conversation before long, he stumbled upon an area where she said, don't press me. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Now, he had no idea what she didn't want to talk about anymore. He figured there must be some big secret lurking, some painful thing that she just couldn't admit to, and she just shut down whenever their conversation got close. He wanted to know what it was. He needed to know what it was. He couldn't leave it alone, even though she kept saying, just leave it alone. So he explained on the podcast all the different ways over the course of the visit that he would try to approach the subject from a new angle to try to get her to share what had her so upset. Finally, on the fourth day of the visit, when her grandson was going down for a nap, Goldstein's mother summoned up the courage to tell him what she had been avoiding. It seems that she too had been reflecting on Jonathan's childhood and now that he had a child of his own and she carried so many regrets for the way things had happened 
as he was growing up. As she shared what had her so burdened, Goldstein said that none of the things she confessed to seemed big to him. They were not things that he held against her, but she regretted all the times she'd yelled at him, the times she kept him from doing something that he wanted to do because she was afraid of what might happen to him, the times that she had hit him out of anger or impatience. And then after she said all this, this most remarkable moment happened. He said, I told her that I forgave her for all of it. And she said, I don't forgive myself. He said, I told her again, I forgave her for all of it. But she could not forgive herself. And she could not accept his offer of forgiveness. And that was the end of the podcast. But I hope it wasn't the end of the story between mother and son. It might have been, though. I can imagine that. A story feels so real. Forgiveness can be a hard thing to accept. Once we reach that point of deep and true regret, once we really repent over something we've done to hurt another or something we've done that we know was wrong, it can be really hard to let go of our feelings of guilt and regret. And that's true when we're hearing words of forgiveness from the person we've wronged. And I think it's true when we hear words of forgiveness from God. Forgiveness can be hard to accept. We don't have a regular practice here in the United Methodist Church of confession and absolution, which is it's okay in one way. I mean, I'm not going to ask the trustees to build a confessional booth here somewhere in the narthex and just sit there on a weekly basis so you can come in and share your latest sins. I, I will say, I am happy to hear your confession, okay? If you have something that you need to talk about, talk about safely, talk about confidential, confidential, confidentially, I'm here, I'm here, I'm all in, let's do it. But I don't wanna have like confession office hours or something. I can see though, on the other hand, I can see why some religious traditions have things like that. Because I think it probably makes a difference to unburden ourselves regularly in front of God to regularly confess our failures and hear again this amazing news that we are forgiven. We're free and clear. We confess, we're reminded that God's love for us is intact. And then we're set free to live lives of hope and joy. You know, that's, that's part of the Easter story. This amazing news of God's forgiveness. We're starting this new sermon series today, Love Made Real. And, and it's a follow-up to the story that we heard last week the story of the empty tomb, of Jesus rising from the grave. That's a tremendous story for that one day for Easter Sunday and for the week after, and for the week after, and for the week after. Because you know, Easter, it it didn't just change things for us on that one day, it changes things for us forever. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna explore what it means for God's love to have been made real at Easter. And we're gonna do that by reading together from the letter we call 1 John. Now, as we start this series, I want to just say clearly that there are four books in the New Testament with the title John. Super confusing. And for some of you, this is old news. That's fine. But I regularly find people who get confused about which John we're talking about when we're reading from the scriptures. So if you haven't spent a lot of time in the back of the New Testament lately, just to make sure we're all on the same page, let me say again, there are four books in the New Testament with the title of John. 
There's the Gospel of John. That's the one that comes right after the Gospel of Luke. But if we flip to the back of the Bible, past all the letters of Paul, we'll find these three little books written a few decades after the Gospel of John, written for churches who used the Gospel of John as their main scripture. Now these were the days when the early days of the church when the Bible wasn't yet formed up into one book, and so a lot of churches didn't have all four of the Gospels. So this particular church or churches, they use the Gospel of John. That's how they knew Jesus, and they were shaped by its worldview. And surprise, surprise, they were having some conflict. That happened a lot in the early church. Doesn't happen in churches anymore. (laughs) Yes, no. (laughs) Happens all the time in churches. Conflict, theological differences, And so this particular leader wanted to write these letters or essays uh, to help with the congregation deal with the conflict and know what to do. And now we have his letters or essays in the Bible and we call them 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. You guys did not say that with confidence, so I hope that you're with me. 3 John. Today we start to read from the letter of 1 John. And overall, at the beginning here, the, the writer, he's trying to lay out his argument for the congregation and to keep them from being led astray by this dissident group, by a group that has some different theological ideas. His biggest problem with this splinter group is they have a twisted view of Jesus and that they say say Jesus was was only divine. He wasn't really human. Say Jesus wasn't really human. Jesus was God, they say sure, but he wasn't both fully God and fully human. No, no, no. His body, they said, was just a sort of costume that Jesus wore. It didn't really matter. His body didn't matter. It just was a disguise he had on. And since they taught that the body, Jesus' body, didn't really matter, they said, you know what? Our bodies don't really matter. In fact, none of this material world matters. The stuff that you can touch and, and see, that doesn't matter. What matters is the spiritual world, these teachers said. And since the material world doesn't matter, what we do here on earth with our bodies, it doesn't matter either. What matters is that you're spiritual. And the leader said, we are spiritual. In fact, we are so spiritual, like Jesus was spiritual, that we don't even sin anymore. That's how little we think of the body and the material and the earthly. So the writer starts off his letter and he says, you think you don't sin anymore? (laughs) You do. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Which sounds kind of harsh but he follows it right up with this amazing news of God's mercy, God's grace. He says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful, God, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So he wants his community to acknowledge the reality of sin in their lives, but just as quickly, Just as quickly, he wants to reassure them that God's forgiveness is intact. It's here. It's available. It's ready for us. So he doesn't want his church to think that they are right in the eyes of God because they're sinless. He wants the followers of Jesus to think they're right in the eyes of God because they're forgiven. And that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference for us today, too. I think it's pretty important for us to have a handle on God's forgiveness, to know that our missteps, our mistakes, our sins have not cut us off permanently from God. Some years ago, I read a book called The Good and Beautiful God by a guy named James Brian Smith, who's a professor at Friends University in Wichita. 
And in that book, he tells the story of a young man who came to him because the young man was so paralyzed with fear about God's wrath and God's judgment that the, man, the young man could not even drive his car. He was so worried that he would be driving down the street and he would see a beautiful woman out of his car window and he would think a lustful thought about her and then he would be hit by another car and he would die before he even had time to repent of his lustful thought. He was convinced in that case he would go directly to hell and have no chance to make it to heaven. This seems a little crazy, right? to think that someone would have a picture of a God so vindictive, so mean, that even the slightest offense not appropriately toned for would cause eternal damnation. Someone must have forgotten to tell this kid as he went to church week after week that God's forgiveness is available to us right now. In fact, God even forgives us before we ask for it. God actually forgives us before we ask for it. We just have to ask for it so we know and receive and accept that forgiveness. But God forgives us so fast, you know, we can't earn it. We can't do anything to deserve it. We can't be sorry enough or repent enough or feel badly enough so God takes pity on us. That's not how it works. God forgives us and it's free of charge. God offers it because that's who God is. And we see that in the Easter story. That's part of what it means that Jesus rose from the dead. That through his death, Jesus took on the worst of the world, the deepest sin and deepest hurt and deepest pain. And he, though sinless, he bore the consequences of other people's sinfulness. And then he rose from the dead. And God did not let sin and death have the final word. God brought new life. God brought healing. God brought wholeness. Jesus' resurrection is a sign to us that God's forgiveness will not be stopped by anything. God is always ready. God is always ready to make things right and make things whole and make things new again. And I think it can feel pretty good to hear this news, especially to hear it for the first time, that God is a forgiving God, that God forgives us of whatever we've done, that God doesn't hold either our small injustices or our worst choices against us. It can feel pretty good to realize this. In my first appointment, part of my job was to relate to the youth. I wasn't in charge of their programming. I didn't organize their stuff. I just hung out with them. I went to youth group. I went to mission trips. I stopped off at Sunday school, stuff like that. And we had a youth director, a lay person, staff person, someone who didn't have a degree in theology, but she was so capable and she did a great job running the youth program. And one day she came to me and she said, Amy, I just had the weirdest conversation. This sophomore, had come up to her complaining about the state of the youth program. And she said, when are we gonna get a youth pastor? What do you mean, the youth director said. When are we gonna get a youth pastor here? Doesn't this church care about youth? Aren't we important enough to have a pastor? Now thankfully for this girl, the youth director is a kind and patient person and she did not immediately become defensive. She didn't say, well, what do you think I'm doing? What do you think Pastor Amy's doing? Instead she said, What is it that you think a youth pastor does that we don't yet have here? And the girl said, well, you know, talk to us about how we're worms and stuff. Huh? (laughs) You know, like, like talk to us about how bad we are, how we're just like worms down in the dirt and how much we need God. 
After a few more questions, the youth director discovered this child had gone to a rally somewhere at a different church, and there was a very charismatic speaker. He probably had ripped jeans and a goatee. I'm not sure, but I think. (laughs) And that speaker had made her feel really, really badly, made her feel so badly about who she was and how she lived. And this girl, she was not like a habitual shoplifter or or a drug dealer or something, but I bet she had moments where she gossiped and judged and intimidated and maybe even bullied other girls at school. But this guy, this bona fide youth pastor, he had offered her something that made her feel terrible about herself, and then he offered her God's forgiveness, and she cried a lot. All of the teenage girls that she was with had cried, and then they felt better And she felt so good, in fact, that she wanted to have that same emotional experience again and again. And she wanted to have it in her own United Methodist Church. And she thought that the way she needed to have that was if we got a real youth pastor. Now, I can sympathize that she felt the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of God for that first time. I maybe don't love the tactics, right? But I can appreciate what it feels like to receive God's forgiveness. I'm not interested in making us all cry today, but I am interested in us feeling deep in our bones the reality of God's forgiveness. I don't want us to just sail through our days thinking like that splinter group in 1 John's community that we're so spiritual, that we're so close to God, that we don't sin and we don't need forgiveness. Well, you're probably saying, Amy, I would never think that. But according to Pew Research, 98% of Americans believe in the reality of sin, but a full 33% say that they don't sin themselves. I'm sure that's nobody in this room. I don't really know how out of touch with yourself you have to be and your impact on the world to think you don't need forgiveness for anything. I can only testify for myself and my own need on the daily for forgiveness. Now, I'm generally a good person. You know me. I don't go around getting into a bunch of fights. I don't steal stuff. I'm not intentionally mean to other people yet. Yet. I know how difficult it is for me to be perfect in love of God and neighbor. I know I neglect God. I know I let fear about the future take over. I believe in my own power to fix my own problems. I try to please other people sometimes instead of asking, what would God have me do? I speak words out of irritation or defensiveness. I think unkind thoughts about other people in my head. Nobody in this room. Other people. I I let my world be self-centered instead of other-centered. I choose to take the easy way. I neglect to help other people in all the ways that I can. I know how far I am from every day acting like the kind and wise and mature and loving and generous person that I want to be. And I know that about myself. I know that I need God's forgiveness. I know I can't begin to make it right for myself. But I also know that Jesus' death and resurrection has ensured for me God's forgiveness. And I know that changes everything. I hope that you know that too. And in the week ahead, I want to ask you to meditate on that some more. 
I want you to give yourself a chance this week for God's love to be made real in your life by experiencing anew the gift of God's forgiveness. Don't let this be something that you just think about for these few minutes of this sermon. Let the reality of God's forgiving love sink anew into your heart and into your soul. One way that you might be able to do that is by praying once or twice, three times this week, by thinking back over your day, do this at the close of the day, think back over your day, and say out loud or write down all the ways that you have sinned against God and against other people for that one day. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel like a worm. I just want you to take an honest look at yourself, a real look at where you are in terms of loving God and loving neighbor. Name for yourself and name before God the mistakes that you made that day, the things that you wish had gotten differently, the opportunities to offer love that you missed. And then ask for God's forgiveness and believe that it is yours. Take a moment to marvel at the depth of God's love and the amazing power God has to wipe the the slate clean for all of us. Believe in the power of a resurrected Jesus to make God's love real for us right now, right now, today. Thanks be to God. Amen.